Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. everybody. It's so good to worship with you here in person and online this morning. What a year it's been, huh? 2020, unforgettable year to say the least. From global pandemics to grocery runs to stay-at-home orders to gyms and businesses and restaurants being closed to our everyday life being disrupted to weddings being postponed or shuffled or replanned at the last minute, racial conflict, riots in the streets, protests, division over this election, false information circulating all over the place, a lack of trust in authority and news outlets, politicians, people wondering if there's any credible source that even exists anymore. And that's just a few things that happened so far this year. What's ironic is it's such a crazy time, but we're studying the the book of 2 Timothy, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy while he was in jail. And the times weren't that much different back then. And I'm surprised how much of what we're reading applies to us so closely today. And we're going to jump into 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, and we're going to focus mainly on the first eight verses. But before we jump into the first eight verses, I've got a story about 2 Timothy 4.12. 2 Timothy 4.12 is significant because I have a friend of mine. He grew up, and he didn't have godly parents, but he had a godly grandma. And his grandma was the only one who really cared for him spiritually. And so every time he saw his grandma, his grandma would tell him, you need to memorize 2 Timothy 4.12. She said, 2 Timothy 4.12, I'm prophesying it over your life. From the time he was like seven, eight years old, all the way up to when he was a teenager. Every time she saw him, she'd say, did you memorize 2 Timothy 4.12? So finally, my friend said, I'm going to memorize 2 Timothy 4.12 to impress grandma. That's what I'm going to do. And so he opened up his Bible to 2 Timothy 4.12, and this is what he saw. He saw, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. (laughs) I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And he's like, interesting. I wonder what my grandma is trying to tell me here. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. So he just put it in his head. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Memorized it. So then he went back to his grandma. He was so excited. And his grandma said, did you memorize 2 Timothy 4.12? And he said, yes, grandma, I did. He said, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And she said, what? (laughs) He said, Paul wrote, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And so she got up and looked up in her Bible, and she's like, huh. Oh, I meant 1 Timothy 4.12. 1 Timothy 4.12 is a stable verse. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love and in life and in purity. That was the verse 
that she was trying to get him to memorize and prophesy over him. But he memorized 2 Timothy 4.12, and he knew that Paul sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Here's the funnier part of the story. He's playing Bible trivia in his 20s now with another Christian couple. And they're in a tight match, and it's very competitive. And so the game was on the line, and it was the final question. And their opponent read the, was about to read the question and said, none of you are going to get this one. <laughs> Nobody knows the answer to this one. And she said, who did Paul send to Ephesus? <laughs> and he goes, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, <laughs> 2 Timothy 4.12. When grandma gives you a scripture to memorize, you just make sure you memorize it because you never know when it's going to come back when you least expect it. Funny story. But when we jump into the book of 2 Timothy 4, when I was doing some research on this and studying it, come to find out the first five verses of 2 Timothy 4 are the key passage for the entire letter. And so it's very important to look at these because this is the heart of the whole letter that Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy. And he says, uh, one of the commentators, Stanley Horton, he put it this way. He said, even though everything Paul has said up until this point has been very important, his charge here is direct, it's brief, and it's emphatic. It's something we all need to hear. So, 2 Timothy 4 begins like this. Paul says, in the presence of God and and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now, this is pretty powerful language here that Paul's using. He hasn't said anything like this up to this point. He's saying, here's some words of advice is what he said before. But now he says, in the presence of God. And remember, Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom. Now, that is pretty significant. Because what he's referring to is when an emperor in Rome would appear in his kingdom, it carried weight. So if you were in the presence of the emperor of Rome, wherever he went, whether he walked into a city, whether he was just on his throne, when you were in the presence, it was different than not being in the presence of the emperor. There were things that you could say not in the presence of the emperor, that if you said in the presence of the emperor, would carry much dire consequence. And that emperor could judge you like this. I mean, they didn't need a judge or jury back then. If the emperor thought that you were guilty, you were guilty. If he thought that you were a great person, he could promote you like that. That's how it worked. And so Paul's saying, in the presence, in the appearing of Christ's kingdom, in, in the presence of God. I give you this charge. I mean, this got Timothy's attention. He says this, he says in verse two, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. 
correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So he gives five things right here in this one verse. He says, preach the gospel. Basically, what I've taught you, I want you to teach other people. Be prepared in season and out of season, whether times are urgent or not, whether there's peace or craziness in the world. In season, out of season, whether you're scheduled to preach on a Sunday morning at the synagogue or whether you're taking a walk in the grocery store, be prepared to encounter people who need Jesus. Be ready. Be in tune with the Spirit of God. Then he goes on to give him permission to correct and rebuke. And some people are like, amen. I like that part. I want the authority to correct and to rebuke. These are negative words. They denote discipline. But then he says, also encourage. That means to bring comfort and edification. So if you're going to correct, if you're going to rebuke, always bring a word of encouragement with that to edify the person that you're correcting or rebuking. And then he goes on to say the next phrase that literally jumped and leapt off the page at me when I was reading this. He said, with great patience and careful instruction. With great patience and careful instruction. Man, I wish we would grasp that one line. Be ready, be prepared, go ahead and correct and rebuke and encourage, but do it with patience. That word patience is the manner you should have and careful instruction is the method you should use is what he's saying. We live in a time where patience and careful instruction aren't really the norm. We live in a time of instance, text messages, emails, social media posts, direct messaging. You don't even really have the the chance to process something before you react or respond to it in our day and age. And he's telling Timothy, don't do that. Use patience. Be careful in your instruction. You know, when I was first learning to drive a vehicle, I went to driver's education. This was when I was 15. I went to Sterling Heights High School at the time, and I had an instructor, and back then, driver's ed was three weeks long. The first two weeks in the summer, you would go and you would sit in the classroom and you would learn all about how to drive a car. You'd watch videos, driver's safety, you'd take tests, different things. But then the last week was the most exciting week because you got to get in the vehicle. Now, we had heard some horror stories about some of the instructors, the driving instructors, that they were impatient, that they were harsh, that they were scary. But I'll never forget my driving instructor. He was this man who had been teaching at Sterling Heights in the, in the Warren Consolidated area for like 20 or 30 years, maybe longer. He was probably between 60 and 70 years old, and he was the most patient man I've ever met. 
He came, he had just this way about him. You got into the car, and, and I remember getting behind the wheel, and I was nervous, and he just said, hey, relax, and let me just explain. You got the gas and the brake, and, you know, here's where everything's located on the steering wheel, and, and so then we would start to drive, and I still remember, I mean, you're talking 25 years ago, and I still remember the instruction that he gave me in the car, how he taught me how to drive. We'd be going down the road, and instead of saying, hey, turn right up here, you just say, up on the blink, Chris, just to let me know that the up is the right. Down on the blink for a left. Careful, you know, on the 10 too. And he taught us defensive driving. So if a car would come up next to us in our blind spot, he'd say, just take your foot off the gas really nicely. Let them pass you. you don't, you're not in a hurry. Let them go by. Get them out of your blind spot. That's where most accidents happen. Then he would teach us how to check our mirrors. You look at the rear view mirror, back at the road. Look over in this mirror, back at the road. Look over at this. He was just so careful, patient. He would hum in the car. If one time I was driving too fast, it was like a 45, and I went to 47 or 48 miles per hour, and he's like, whoa, Chris, whoa, just slow down a little bit. We're not in a hurry here. Then when we had approach green lights, he, was te- he taught me something I never knew. We were approaching green lights, he said, always look over at the walk signal. And if it's blinking orange, don't walk, that means you have 13 blinks until that green light turns yellow. So if it's blinking seven, eight, nine, ten times, you're just going to want to take your foot off the gas and slow right down because it's probably going to be turning yellow soon and then you won't have to slam on those brakes. I remember because he was so careful and so patient with all of us. It was a joy to be in that car. I remember everything I learned from that man. And I remember after that, I got my permit. My dad's like, let's go for a drive. So I went for a drive, very defensive driving. And when we got out of the car, he said, if you drive like that, you'll never get in an accident. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm a good driver. If only I would still drive like that, it might be a little bit better, but... Somehow you get a little bit more aggressive the longer you drive. I don't know what, why that is. But then I was thinking about that as I was preparing this message. And I was like, what would it be like if Christians were that careful and that patient in their instruction to people? What would the world think of a bunch of Christians who were careful and patient in their instruction to people. I have a friend who works at a hospital, and he said something to me that just kind of broke my heart. He said, you know, Chris, out of 100 people I work with, I have six Christians, and the rest are non-Christians. And he said, the six Christians are the worst people I know. They're the harshest, they're the most judgmental, they're the least patient, they treat people the, the poorest. And I just, that broke my heart. Because what Paul's saying to Timothy is like, look, you have Jesus. You have the gospel. You have something that other people need so desperately. And I want you to share it with them. But I want you to do it in a way that's careful and patient. 
I want you to explain things to them. I want you to love on them. What would it be like if we did preach the gospel, showed people a picture of Christ in a patient and careful way? It's challenging to me. It's something that really ministered to me that I want to take on as a challenge. He goes on to say in verse 3, he says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We talked a little bit about this last week, but it's never been easier to surround yourself and, in, and take in content. Like we, we never have had so much content available at our fingertips than we do right now. My wife and I, we went up north and we were able to consume three hours of content in the car, learn something, listen to a podcast. The problem with this is we spend a lot of time digesting content from people who are saying what we want to hear. We don't listen to a lot of people who say things we don't want to hear. So even within the church, I mean, sometimes we think this is just outside the church, but even within the church, there's different camps. There's different people who believe different ways. There's people who preach different things. There's hellfire and brimstone preachers and grace preachers and everything in between. And we say, no, we don't like what that guy's saying. We're going to cancel him. That's where the term cancel culture, it's become so prevalent in our society, that word's used so much, because we can cancel, 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 cancel. Oh, this guy, he's saying what I want to hear. So I'm going to spend time listening to him or to her, because they are saying what I think my opinion is. And so I want to surround myself and digest content that's available and saying what I want to hear. And a lot of us are doing this. What happens is we start going down the rabbit hole and we get indoctrinated on things that we want to hear. And sometimes that's not always the best things for us to hear. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying people are going to turn to people who are saying what their itching ears want to hear, but not necessarily the heart of the gospel, not necessarily the heart of Jesus, not necessarily sound doctrine. Be careful, he says. I've told this story before, but I want to give it a little different spin Several years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I had a few teenagers graduate from our youth ministry, and they joined a cult. They didn't really know that they were joining a cult at first. They just wanted to go deeper with God than they've ever gone, and they had a charismatic leader who was saying, I can show you the way. And so little by little, as I got to know what these kids were getting involved in, and I got to hear what the doctrine in this group was, I I realized it was a cult. 
It was a man who was telling them, you can have it all. You can have the Holy Spirit. You can prophesy. You can have the gifts of the Spirit. You can heal. And you can sin as well. You can do whatever you want to do. There's no moral code you need to live your life by. Jesus died on the cross, and when he died, sin is gone. It's out of here. So don't listen to anyone who's trying to tell you that you can't do certain things or live your life in a certain way because you can do whatever you want to do as long as you have the grace of God. And so as I got into this, of course, with theology and doctrine like that, messed up things are going to happen in a group like that. And so I asked these teenagers in my group if they could set up a meeting with me and this cult leader where I could sit down and have breakfast with them. And I went into that meeting, and I got to be honest, this guy was very charismatic, charming, very good at what he does, very believable. And him and I were going back and forth. I was saying, what about these scriptures? What about this? What about when the word says this? And he'd say, well, yeah, but what about this? And what about this? We were going back and forth. And finally, he looked at me and he said, I can tell you got something special on you. And he said, "Um, have you ever laid your hands on people and they've received the Holy Spirit? Have you ever led someone to Christ and then you laid your hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit? I said, sure, I, I have. And he said, the Lord's telling me that you're an apostle. He's like, in the book of Acts, it says that the Spirit was giving it the laying on of the apostle's hand, and I believe that you're an apostle. And I looked at him and I said, is this what you're doing to them? Saying what their itching ears want to hear? Of course I want to be an apostle of God. Who doesn't? Of course I want to be led by the Spirit. Of course I want to be used by God in powerful ways. But all you did was appeal to my flesh and said something that my ears wanted to hear, not that resonated with my spirit. And that's what he was doing to all of these young adults who wanted God so bad but didn't know how to go deeper in him. And that's happening a lot right now. And it's not as obvious in certain with certain speakers and certain leaders and certain influencers, but it's happening. People are looking. We live in a world where you can listen to any preacher you want. You can listen to any podcast speaker, YouTube. You can be on listening to it. And that's what we do. We find the people who say what we want to hear not necessarily what the Lord or the Spirit is trying to say to us now. What's the Spirit saying versus what do we want to be true and want to hear? There's a big difference, and that's what Paul was trying to tell Timothy. It was, then, it was happening then, it's happening now. He then goes on to say in verse 5, But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I love that. Keep your head in all situations. In other words, don't be like everyone else who's emotionally driven. Be spirit-led. Don't be reactive. Keep your head. 
See, when we get reactive and emotional, we lose sight of the truth and what's really going on. That Greek word suggests moral alertness, self-control, and spirit-led. Self-control. When he says keep your head, he's saying be self-controlled. Think about what you're saying. Have you ever watched sports? Not too much right now we're watching. But whenever there's a big sports game, coaches love the phrase, keep your head. Keep your head in the game. Keep your head in the game. And what are they saying? They're saying, think. All the practice, all the film we watched, all the strategy we did during the week, that's what I want you to produce on the field or on the court. That's what I want you to do in the game. But what happens in the game? In the game, people get emotional. Someone gives you a cheap shot. Someone talks some junk to you. And all of a sudden, these star athletes are taken out of a game. They have a bad game because their head's not in it. Because they got emotional. And when they got emotional, they forgot everything that they practiced, that they went over, that they rehearsed. And they looked like a totally different player than they did in practice. Because they couldn't keep their head in the game. I think that's what happened a lot with the Red Wing Avalanche rivalry back in the day. I don't know if you remember that, but Colorado Avalanche and Detroit Red Wings would play a game. Regular season playoffs didn't matter. As soon as that puck dropped, they were fighting. Sometimes you're like, is this hockey? Or is this like a fight? And usually the team that was less emotional ended up winning the series. Because it's so important to keep your head. And the same thing is happening right now. It's rocky. And we're so quick to fight right now. We're getting prepared. We're here at church. We're reading God's word. We're spending time with him. We're asking for opportunities to be used by him to do something with our lives. And then the opportunity comes. God's saying, you want an opportunity. You want to be used by me. You want to do something for the kingdom. I'm going to give you one. And then it comes, and we can't keep our head in the game. Because someone says something that we totally disagree with about our country, about our nation, about our Bible, and we lose it on them. So we got to keep our heads in the game. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Keep your head in it. Keep your head in it. Before you can be used by God, learn to control those emotions. Learn to be spirit-led. We have way too many Christians right now reacting instead of responding with the word. So crucial. So crucial. He tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Be used by God. Preach the gospel. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Get in the game. He wants us in the game. But keep your head. Be careful and patient. Keep your head. So amazing. He goes on to say in verse 6, 
And this is where Paul kind of gives his final thoughts to Timothy here. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. Paul's in prison. He's on death row. He's awaiting his death because he's a Christian. That's the only reason he's in prison. And he says the words, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. That, that was significant to me. I, I, I'm like, what does that mean? How come he didn't use all the other offerings in the Old Testament? You had the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the peace offering. Why the drink offering? Well, the drink offering represented wine. You would pour a gallon of wine at the altar. You would pour it out in the old covenant to God as a sacrifice for guilt, for sin. And in the New, Co- New Testament, Jesus said, this is my blood, in the new covenant in my blood. So the new covenant wine represents the blood of Christ. And so what Paul is saying here is everything Jesus poured into me, the blood, the grace of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, he poured it into me and I'm being poured out. Everything he poured into me, I've poured out. I've done it. He poured in grace when I didn't deserve it. He poured in wisdom when I didn't have it. He poured in supernatural ability when I only acted in the flesh. And then I took everything that he poured into me and I've poured it out, Timothy. All of it. And he says, the time for my departure is near. That word departure literally means a loosing, like an animal from a yoke, being freed from what has bound it. He looked at death in a triumphal way. And then he says this in verse 7, such a powerful verse. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What a powerful thing to be able to say at the end of your life. I fought the faith. I fought the good fight. I kept my faith, Timothy. With all the persecution I have endured, the beatings the imprisonment, all the times I wondered where God was in my circumstance and why he would allow me to go through another trial. I kept the faith. And I'm excited to get a reward. Remember I told you earlier that Jesus who judged the living and the dead, he's got a righteous reward for me. I fought the faith. I I fought the good fight. I finished my race. You ever wonder why Paul could have so much peace being on death row? Most of us are so scared to die. 
so scared of that moment. Paul embraced it. Because he said, I'm not like everyone else who only has this world and the pleasures in it. No, I sacrificed my life for the gospel. I sacrificed the luxuries of this world for the next one. I fought the fight. I finished my race that God called me specifically to. I think it's back in Acts chapter 8 or chapter 9 when Jesus is speaking to Ananias and telling Ananias to go lay his hands on Paul. And he told Ananias, this is the man I've chosen. He will suffer much in my name. That was his calling. And he did it. And he was exhausted. Matthew Henry says it like this. He says, as a Christian and a minister, Paul had kept the faith. He kept the doctrines of the gospel. What comfort, what comfort will it afford to be able to speak in this manner toward the end of our days? The crown of believers is a crown of righteousness purchased by the righteousness of Christ. Believers have it not at present, yet it is sure for it is laid up for them. The believer admits poverty, pain, sickness, and the agonies of death may rejoice. Out of this whole letter, this final verse in eight, seven and eight, it, it spoke to me the most. Because I want to be able to say at the end of my life that I fought the good fight, God. I finished the race that you had specifically for me. I found out what it was. And I didn't always do the selfish thing. I didn't always do what I wanted to do in the moment I wanted to do it, but I sacrificed moments. I laid certain things that I wanted to do down because I want you more than anything else. Amen. And I want to be used by you more than anything else on this earth. I fought the good fight. I survived 2020, God. It kept my faith. Kept my peace. I was careful and patient with people. I wasn't harsh or judgmental with them. I didn't surround myself, God, with people who only said what I wanted to hear. I kept my head in emotional situations. God, I devoted my life to spreading the good news of Christ. I fulfilled the God-given purpose you had for me. I finished my race. What a charge to Timothy, his son in the faith, who had his whole life in front of him, he told them, don't only think about the present. Don't only think about the pleasures of this earth. Think about eternity. Be used by God in powerful ways. 
Keep seeking him. Keep going after him. Even if you doubt, even if your heart gets hardened by painful life circumstances, which will happen throughout this life, don't lose faith. Keep going. Because I can tell you from experience, I have peace because I fought my fight. I finished my race. And I'm so excited for eternity now. I can honestly tell you that studying 2 Timothy over the last four weeks has changed my life. It's changed things that I, th- I forgot about in the scripture. The passion for God that Paul had to be used by him to change lives, even if it was one life. The passion and the drive he had for the truth of God's word, for the Holy Spirit, the passion he had to be used by God no matter what persecution came his way, no matter what the cost. The passion he had to love people who hated him People who, when he went in trying to tell them the truth and love on them, they literally stoned him almost to death. And then he got up and went right back into that city to say, I forgive you. You need to hear this still. He loved people. Sometimes we forget about that with Paul because he's kind of a harsh dude. But he loved people. He loved people so deeply and so fiercely that he was willing to die for one person to know his Lord and Savior. That's the kind of passion, church. That's the kind of Christianity we need to show the world right now. Let's bow our heads for prayer. God, I'm so moved by that line, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The things that you've poured into Paul, the things you pour into us, just pouring those out to the point of exhaustion. I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for everyone who's watching this online or listening to this on a podcast. Lord, let something stir in our hearts right now. Let a passion for you and for your word and for people to be birthed, even in a season where it's so easy to fight or to be angry or to divide. Help us to realize there's no us in them. There's just us. For you loved all of us that you were willing to die for the whole world. Help us, Lord, to have careful instruction and patience when we talk to people. Help us to be prepared in season and out of season. Help us to keep our heads. Help us to finish the race that you have marked out for us. That's individual to each of us. I thank you that Paul's story isn't my story or anyone else's, but you have something unique in store for all of us. And Lord, I want to finish that race. I pray that be the cry of everyone's heart in here. 
I want to finish my race. I want to fight the good fight, God. I don't want to get so swept up in the world that I forget what this is really about. I want to fight the good fight. I want you more than anything else. That's our heart's desire, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for attending this series with us. I just want to just encourage you to not just let this series come and go. Sometimes it's so easy to get on to the next thing. This one, let it, let it resonate. Let it get deep. Read those words in 2 Timothy over and over again. Let it get deep into your heart and produce some fruit in there. I also just want to call our prayer team up here. There's going to be people who will pray with you at the altar if you need prayer at the close of this series. And I do want to remind you that we have this life group semester, that we have so many great life group leaders. I talked to someone this week who said, I just feel isolated. Listen, even though times are different, you don't have to feel alone or isolated. I want to encourage you, join a group. Even if it's a sermon discussion group that meets online, join it. Get around some people who can help you spiritually, be there for you, minister to you and with you. Do it today. Check it out at cccsterling.org slash lifegroups. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Enjoy this beautiful Sunday. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.